How's it going, everyone? This is Niner National. I'm here with Paulina. introduce yourself. I'm sorry, Paulina Lara. Of hello. course. Hello, hello. And uh, yeah, we're here for the fourth episode of Niner National. Paulina, how you're doing today? I am pretty well. I'm pretty hungry, but I'm. I guess you say I'm hungry. Happens to the best of us. It, it we really were a little does. late getting started today, given some uh, technical difficulties, but you know, such is normal with audio equipment, right? Uh, very normal. Yes. Yes. So tell me a little bit about yourself. So uh, now that... Open-ended question. Of course, of course, I got you. So I am Filipino. That's like my first thing I always tell people because a lot of people think I'm Mexican <laughs> and or Hispanic and or Japanese or Indian, which is very not so correct. So everything but what you actually that's, are. Yeah, yeah, and that's a very calm Filipino thing. But I grew up in the Philippines. I was born there. I lived there for like seven years. And I moved to America, let's say around 2008. Mm -hmm. And I had, actually, I remember talking about this with my mom just recently. Um, I took gap years to really strengthen my English fluency because when I first came to America, I couldn't really speak a lot of English. And a lot of Filipino like language, depending on the dialect, it's very much so influenced by English because we've had a lot of, of excuse me, like English influence countries. So, colonization. Yeah, right. colonization. So for me, definitely Filipinos, we're a little bit more apt to acquire English compared to like other Asian countries. So it's a lot harder for like a Japanese or Korean person to acquire English than it is for a Filipino. Makes sense. Definitely. Makes sense. Is there like a level of uh, formal English education in the Philippines or is it more... Um, there is? Yes, there is for me since I basically went through like second grade, like first grade to third grade equivalent. Um, I didn't get to like the formal English part, but definitely I didn't practice a lot of English when I was in school, but I was very much so exposed to it at home. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Yes. It was a very, it was a very interesting time because it's like, uh, I grew up a lot of English or American media. Yeah. And I believe one uh, you develop skills for language acquisition because I also really like linguistics. Linguistics is a fascinating it's subject. It's so for fun. Sure. It's so fun. Linguistics and etymology. Mm. Um, I believe when you're a kid or when you want to learn a different language, definitely approach it like a child would, where you mimic everything. So for me, when I was watching Shrek, for example, I remember I would religiously watch Shrek and Dora. I would just mimic everything. And gradually, the sounds kind of picked up in my head. Wait, so so don't tell me you had like a Scottish accent, like, <laughs> like you go around like I'm, I'm just imagining you as a little kid going around like, "Get out of my swamp!" Get out of my yes, yes, I did. And then I was singing like I was trying to act like a puss, like a little puss cat. In boots. Yeah, okay, puss so it. now you have like a Castilian Spanish accent. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was trying to be inclusive puss from a young age. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I watched that movie religiously. I'd like to think, but. Definitely, a lot of my exposure was from movies, from music, because Filipinos' music is very integral to our culture, and I'm sure it's like that for every other, you know, country. But every every culture yeah. has a, a very unique form of music. Like I think, you know, no two cultures are gonna come up with with their own, um, like music that's that's right. exactly the same. Like you go anywhere in the world and. Mm -hmm. You know, honestly, if you play like a blip of traditional music from any country, anyone who is even moderately versed in, you know, music and linguistics is going to be able to pick that out. Like, yeah, definitely. You know, even 
I like to use this example. Like, if you hear the da 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 da, oh, da, da you know, that, you that's, know, yeah, you that's, know right that's actually away. that's actually called the Oriental. The tune. Oriental tune, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know right away, like yeah, even like, though that's oh. not exactly real traditional music, yeah. But, you know, it's such an endemic sound. Or like, if you're watching a Hollywood movie and it's set in like Egypt or something, right? And, and, you know, and you hear like that, like you know, it's like a, a mm-hmm. click. You know, and those right. those stereotypes don't come from nothing. Every every exactly. country, um, or at least cultural group, kind mm-hmm. of has a unique a unique music. You know, you hear a banjo playing. Yes. That can't be from anywhere but America, right? Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, Spanish music has a very unique tune. Brazilian music, samba. You know, that's mm-hmm. very unique. Um, yeah. French music. You know, the accordion. It's it's all you know. It's an interesting topic. Ratatouille. I call it, I call it ratatouille music. Yeah. Ratatouille music. Yes, music that makes you imagine the Eiffel Tower. Yes. Apparently, a lot of French people actually don't even like the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, they hate it. <laughs> they hate it, and they I think it's it. so funny because a lot of Americans, and I think this is something I've always wondered too, because uh, when I came here, I developed well, not developed, but. Whenever you're born in one country and then you transition to another cultural background, I did speak about it before, but it was this phenomena that I researched in my freshman year of community college and awesome sauce. I had an A on that paper, but it was Congrats. this, thank you. It was a psychological uh, study or observation of the third culture kid. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially where uh, you are quote unquote part of the third culture because your original cu- culture, which is the first one like you were born into, and then the second one that you grow or adapt to, you develop a third quote unquote personality because you're at a shift and you're at a shift and you're contrasting two attitudes and ideas as well mm. as personalities. So that's something I've definitely really looked into. And honestly, when I heard about it, I felt so relieved because I actually thought. I was insane for a long time. Like, there's something wrong with me. Why am I like this? That's, and then you yeah. receive an explanation, and it's like, oh, well, <sighs> you know, maybe I'm not so. I'm not so sc- like, fucked up after all. I know right? I'm yeah. not so like I'm not so scary because, uh, in terms of the cultural kid phenomena or third culture, however you want to say it, it's the mentality or your personality and your values that kind of clash. And so, for example, when I I used to live with my parents, which is a very Filipino thing to do. Um, I had a very more, let's say, like, there was a more order to the house. I would say, like, I had my specific chores and duties, and it's, I had to speak, or I had to listen to my family speak all the time, the Filipino, and I was already at a point where this was in high school, I kind of just pushed back Bisaya, which is the dialect I grew up with, which is like a southern... Bisaya? Bisaya. Bisaya. Yeah, I pushed that all the way back to make room for English at the front part of my head, and I'd have to like interpret for my mom or whatever, cause she's she's pretty good at like English, but she'll she'll say something in English and revert back to like uh, Filipino, and it's like a swap. Right. And so it's really uh, it would really show when my American friends come over, because it's like oh I have to welcome them to my cultural norm. Like example, I have you seen the movie Turning Red? Can't say that I have. What's okay. it about? Okay, so it's basically like this Chinese-American kid, and it's basically third culture phenomena as a movie because there's like this whole like little plot that they want to go to a concert, but then she has chores to do and stuff like that. So that's essentially stuff I grew up with. Mm. So when I was still with my parents, it was a more conservative lifestyle, and then there was this American 
quote unquote my American part of me that just wants to say like fuck all like you know like right. go out you know you yeah, don't have America's to America's a very liberal place compared to most places in the it world. is I, I feel like a lot of Americans don't really have an appreciation for that fact I, like a lot of I Americans know. don't notice that I know right um, right is right, that yeah. compared to like the vast majority of places in the world um, mm. America is very very liberal about a lot of things it especially is very... about parental relationships it like, is yeah it's if you very... notice um you know, if you had like a lot of immigrant friends growing up, like I, I had quite a few immigrant friends mm-hmm. growing up. Some of my best friends when I grew up were from um, from El Salvador. El Salvador. And yeah. they would like interact with their parents differently than I would interact with mine. Yeah. And yeah. it always stuck out to me when I was a kid. And I was, you know, to my credit, I was a very respectful kid. You know, I yeah. never really like talked back or anything, but right. they were far less, you know, um, I guess there was less decorum. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's a different vibe and I think it can be very confusing it is um, yeah. when you have you're surrounded by people who don't use the same decorum that you do and might even you know being frankly uh, ignorant kids yeah. ridicule you yeah. for the decorum that you use and ridicule you for right. the aspects of your culture right um, that you know you are kind of expected to upkeep so you're pulled in different directions by yes. your peers and by your parents yes um and when you're a kid, kind of peer versus parent interaction is a very delicate balance. It's, it's very difficult. True. It is. Um, it is so. It is very difficult um, because it's. Uh, for example, it's like the smallest things too, where it'd be like, oh, I want to go to a slumber party because fun fact, I've never experienced a slumber party. Ever? Seriously? No, never been. It's like, like such a normal thing. It's for a Americans. Amer- it is yeah. a very American thing about my parents, uh, my mom, because I have a, a stepdad and he's New Yorker, so he's white. So he has like the American idealism yeah. that kind of like, I guess, melded together with my mom's like Filipino culture. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, the thought of sleepovers because fa- Filipinos are very family oriented. So we'll literally just adopt quote unquote like, neighbors and call them, you know, um, our sister or brother or whatever. We're very yeah. close knit. But from my mom, she was saying she's not your close friend. So you can't like sleep over with her at her place. And I was like, I was so devastated because mm. I was maybe seven or eight and I, I just suddenly got dropped in the ship with a bunch of white people I don't even know. Right. But and they were suddenly don't even speak fluent English at that no. point. No. So I don't remember this, but I remember my mom, she would take me to tutoring lessons at libraries or like public schools. I wouldn't be fully in a class. And there was this one vivid memory I remembered where I would be going to the Charlotte, like the downtown Charlotte library. She would make me read paragraphs and paragraphs of fairy tale textbooks or like fairy tale stories. And she would make me word for word audibly read them out. And my reward, it was a I believe they were grueling one to two hours of just sitting and reading to her was like a honey bun. And I would do that all the time. I think I had a I had several gaps in between months until I finally got accepted at an elementary school and then at that point, I was so super quiet, and there's this one time where the music teacher, she called on me, because we were in music class for roll call, she called on me, and my, my first name, like my, my entire name is at the first, because my last name is Alera or Ayara. She called out my entire name, and I was so scared. I was about to shit my pants. I just, I, I remember I was like closing my mouth because I was panicking on should I say something or not. Because these are kids I don't even know. They don't look like me. They don't act like me. 
So I wasn't sure if I was going to get bullied. <laughs> performance anxiety around language is a real thing. It's so fucking like, and it Now, it's one thing when the people that you're talking to speak your native language and you have a safety net, right? Like, right. Um, for example, with my girlfriend in Portuguese, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm speaking Portuguese to her, I know that if I mess up, it won't affect anything. You right. know, there's, I'm not afraid of that. But, you know, if I go somewhere where, and I've, I've done this quite frequently since mm-hmm. I came to Charlotte because there are some fairly significant Brazilian communities mm-hmm. in Charlotte. Yeah. And, you know, I'll be talking to people who don't really speak much English and the only language that, you know, like, all of the communication burden mm-hmm. is on me because yeah it is like it's their language and um they don't speak mine Uh and it's tough and it's 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 anxiety inducing and that makes me anxious when i'm ordering food at a restaurant right you know because i might can have a fluent conversation in portuguese easily if i know that the other person speaks english yeah then the moment that i don't know that for a fact it's like oh my god (laughs) you know i remember one time i took my parents to a brazilian cafe and oh oh that's nice um you know, we were there, uh, and I remember the waitress asked me in Portuguese to explain something to my parents because they don't. My parents don't speak Portuguese. Right. I was kind of the only link there, and it yeah. it was. I was anxious because I was like, "Oh my god!" You know, like life is. I've got to explain right. this, and like my ability to comprehend this other language is the only thing that matters right now. That's the. It's the bottleneck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I can't even imagine what that would be like if you're a kid and you're in a classroom and you're in front of your peers yeah. and they're, you know, frankly ignorant. And when I say ignorant, I don't mean it as an insult, but children are ignorant. They don't understand the world no, so no. much. Yeah. Um, you can't fault that them. That must be nerve wracking. It was, it was very nerve wracking and I don't, I, I don't recall it, but I wasn't bullied at all, but they just knew like, oh, she's not from here. Mm. They just knew. And yeah. so I was super. They always know. They always know. And I was, I was just trying to be nice to everybody. Um, some, something that really set me off though when I was in elementary school was that I didn't realize how open Americans are. Mm. Uh, actually, I think for Filipinos, I think we're very similar in terms of showing affection, but Filipinos are definitely a little bit more conservative right. in that sense. But Americans, I, when I, I would see like my classmates like braid each other's hair. I was so caught off guard by that. And in the same music class, you know how we would sit on the carpet, and the, the teacher would tell us what we're go, what we're gonna do today. Uh, I remember this girl, like I felt tingling on my hair, and I was a because I had really long black hair. I I was about to whip around and say something, and like maybe like tell her off a Filipino. And I saw like just this white girl just braiding my hair, and she was just common, like she was just doing it as if it's normal. And so I was so freaked out about that, and. I think it just gave me this very big idea of, wow, Americans are very much so open. Mm. And it's been kind of clashing a little bit with my ideas of maybe in Filipino culture, reserving affection towards closer friends or family. Because now I've developed a very open personality, like very affectionate personality. So I'll hug people, like even sometimes I'll offer a hug to classmates if they're feeling down. I'm just one of those people. But I know that idea was not ingrained in me when I was young. That was something I saw. And I remember I did that, like I was in marching band in high school and I hugged a guy friend just to say him goodbye. And my mom commented on it. She said, is that your boyfriend? I told her, no, that's my friend. And she was like, you don't hug people. And I was, I was very much so peeved by that. And it's 
very irritating. Does it almost, you know, and I don't have the same experience, mm-hmm. um, but does it almost make you feel ashamed when things like that happen? Yeah. Like, there, do you feel yeah. this kind of cultural shame? Yes. Like, oh my God, I shouldn't have done that. I feel dirty. I feel like a, right, like right. a whore or something. Or like, a slut. Yeah. yeah. Like, it just makes you feel yeah. um, dirty, you know? like, And mm-hmm. that's difficult to deal with because I think shame is one of the hardest feelings out there. It is. And when you have one culture that tells you something is almost required. Yeah. And you have another culture that tells you something is shameful. Don't do that. No, no, no. No, 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 no. That's tough. It is so tough. And it's because um, I think it's also obviously, this is something that I believe a lot of people need to grasp too, is that the media you consume does subconsciously affect you. Oh, so much so. Definitely. People don't, people don't understand that. Because people I think don't. people only look for it on the conscious level. Like, yeah. oh, well, of course I'm not going to be... I, you know, I play, like, take kids who play first-person shooters right. every fucking day. And then it's like, yeah. oh, well, that doesn't affect me because I don't right. feel like going out and, like, shooting people. But it's it's gradually warming you up to that idea. Yeah, I it's very gradually, like, opening, not that pathway, but it's it's just unlocking new it, bridges. It's, well, it's, it's destigmatizing it, you know? Yeah. So somebody who has never played a, a violent video game or consumed violent media... Mm-hmm would probably be mortified if they saw yeah. a horror movie and somebody get, like, stabbed. They would be so confused. They'd be bewildered. They would be confused and probably sickened by it. Right. right. But, you know, yeah. if you... I know, obviously, if a horror movie connoisseur saw somebody get murdered in yeah, real they, life, I... they'd be horrified. But yeah. it, it introduces the idea to you that that is, like... Acceptable. It's no longer peripheral. Yeah. It's not even yeah. that it's acceptable. It's no longer oh, peripheral. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not... You know, it's it's in your field of vision now. It's yes. not outside your field of vision. And when yes. something is in your field of vision, when it becomes real, mm-hmm. it, it it can be super daunting. And when I think when I say that media affects you when you're a child, is that when I was growing up, so my family is a little a little weird in a sense because my parents like their marriage is considered annulled, so that means invalid. In Catholic standards, yeah. but you might as well equate that to divorce. Basically, so my parents were divorced, and my mom she had left to America because she had married my stepdad, and she also had family there, and there's just more better working opportunities, and so she was in the process process of helping me and my three older siblings move to America, and she was gone for actually like the first seven years of my life. So, in that time where she was not present she would send these things called balik bayan boxes and basically in filipino culture filipinos being abroad to find jobs is very common and so these balik bayan boxes are ubiquitous so that essentially just means like goods boxes like goods in boxes in from like foreign countries so it's like a cultural exchange kind of thing essentially yeah sending a bit of this country's culture back to the philippines yes and so take like their regular big brown box like moving boxes so a lot of the times because my siblings and i were still young we would skype our mom like i still remember like sitting beside like the little windows xp in the Philippines, and we would Skype our mom, and she would just say, what do you want from America? You know, these are all the movies that's coming out. These are all the video games. So she would actually ship us back movies, video games, and music. And I don't know how we acquired it. We had a PS2. I think she shipped us a PS2 and the old black Xbox. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I was already tapped into a different entire world, and I didn't even know it. It's alien. It was so alien, and I remember those pieces of culture. 
I watched a lot of movies, and I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know how, but I essentially just gained unrestricted access to movies. So I would end up watching like R-rated movies with cuss words and shit like that. But the most important thing was that all the actors and actresses in those movies were very affectionate. Like right. they would hug each other. They would like kiss each other. And I was thinking. So out of context, right? Yeah. And uh, in, even in video games, like I got introduced to a lot of fighting games and I got introduced to more music. So definitely like my siblings were also big fans of rock. So they right. were they were sh- they would show me like System of a Down stuff like that, the, like that '90s rock yeah, sound. Like, um, yeah, like that that Green Day kind of. Yeah, Green like, Day. Ra- yeah, right. Yeah, and they would play it because since we're a very musical family, um, my my house like every house I've lived in has always music playing, and mm. so I think having that in the background was just English when I was a kid too, seeing both the media and hearing the media. It gradually, I think, s- advanced the process of acquiring it, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. That does make sense. Yeah. yeah. I was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, exposure makes makes a lot of things easier, Definitely. especially with like linguistics. So you mentioned that you're a linguistics fan earlier. Yes. Phonetics. Oh, phonetics I love phonetics. Are so huge. Yes. I remember I tried to teach my mom and my dad like a little bit of Portuguese recently. Yeah. And my mom said it with like a, such an American accent. Oof. She was like, you so. Beverly and you know it's like that's so like American and my dad who um for a while I don't think he can still speak much of it but his Mm -hmm. second language for a while was French he was proficient in French oh okay and he was like I was like and I was like it's so funny because we (laughs) we adapt the linguistics that we're used to Mm mm-hmm I actually speak Portuguese with a bit of a Spanish accent because Ooh. I'm so used to being exposed to Spanish. I listen to a lot of Spanish music. Yeah. I favor Spanish music generally. Um, I like I like the way it sounds sung. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we are so influenced by the linguistics and the phonetics that we consume yes. in our media yes. in every language that we speak. I think that it's the best part, too. And it's like when I think of phonetics, I usually think of what Chinese or Cantonese because it's very tonal. Yeah, yeah, oh they are very God. tonal. It's so um, tonal. I'm not entirely familiar with all the... T- I know there's four either. tones in Mandarin, right? I, I, it and could each be. Each one means something different. It, it could be, yeah. And with that in mind, I remember when I was reading out the fantasy uh, texts, you know how in elementary school they would make you do those reading groups? Yeah, So totally. Yeah, I was so silent. And I think sometimes they would tease me and stuff because I just didn't understand like American culture. Right. But when it came to <laughs> when it came to the reading groups, each one of them, like we would take turns in reading a paragraph, they would keep keep pausing or stammering because they could not read a word. And then when it came to me, I could just read two paragraphs just just right off the bat and then I'd shut the fuck up the ne- entirety of the group. And then people <laughs> would be like, How'd you do that? I'm like Listening. 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 So important. It was it was lovely. And you mentioned shadowing earlier in linguistics, like yes. when you hear something and you repeat it exactly as it sounds. Yes, yes. I think that's a big difficulty for a lot of people learning languages, especially mm-hmm. languages that share an alphabet with theirs. Right. Is because they assume that all the letters mean the same thing. Yeah, like, no. Uh, you know, in a, let's take, for example, like uh, Polish. Polish is a good example of Polish. this. Polish, okay. The Polish language. You know, if you read a Polish word phonetically uh-huh. like you would read it in English, it will not sound anything like Polish because oh. all of the letters mean slightly different things than they mean in english right right right. same thing with spanish obviously like Mm -hmm. you know 
or Italian or really any language other than English or mm -hmm. like German is a great one for that. Um, yeah. Letters don't mean the same thing. So no, no, they don't. I think the best way to learn um, pronunciation is pronounce it exactly like a native speaker pronounces yes. it and Dude, try to mimic it exactly with the tones. Even if it sounds like you're mocking them a little bit, like do yeah. mock them. Yeah, I actually do that. Um, when I started, because I'm currently studying, not I don't consider studying. I I'm past the point where I need to study, in my opinion, or I can study more, but I'm more active interactively. And I I got I got you. You're working proficiency at the very least. Yeah, in Japanese. Yeah. So, um, for example, like two days ago, I just hit legs with one of my girlfriends here. Her name is Mire. So we basically work out together because not only is it a good time to you know get the gains in, but it's also just a good time to swap languages. So mm -hmm. it would be like, it would be an inter, like, a web or a melting pot of both just the simultaneous noise of Japanese and English. So we would talk to, I would talk to her in Japanese a lot of times. She would talk to me a lot in English. So I have more better daily conversations than I would sitting down like reading and writing a text. Right, but right, right, it's right. a complete switch to Russian because I am trying to study at least one European language, which is Russian, and I have to mock, like what you say, or imitate, for lack of a better word, my teacher all the time. And when you're talking about words that you have to pronounce as somebody would, as a native, say, um, I remember Nathan, like he was helping me pronounce this word, and it's obzhizitsy. It means dormitory in Russian. And I would pronounce, I would stress one latter half of the word differently, and he had to keep repeating it to me, and I'd had to keep repeating it back to him. And then that noise, like that tone, that pitch, whatever I call it, it's just ingrained in me now. So are you familiar with the concept of neuroplasticity? Uh, I think I know a little bit about it. So neuroplasticity is the concept that the more you use parts of your brain, uh -huh. um, your brain can actually engage in what's called, I believe it's called neurogenesis. Oh, wow. Neurogenesis is creation of new neurons. And what? languages are one of the best ways to engage neuroplasticity. Wow. Because as, as you learn languages and as you learn pronunciations and you learn yes. phonetics, uh -huh. the speech parts of your brain become more resilient and tougher. Wow. Um, and, and better. Like you... you your brain begins to literally expand. Your brain gets That's a little so bit cool. bigger. It adds neurons. The neurons kind of fold into each other, and you get a denser, right. better brain. So the more languages you learn, the more you can kind of engage um, neuroplasticity. I forget the exact regions of the brain because I'm not a psychologist, but um, mm -hmm. I think it's the Broca's area. I th um, think that sounds right. That mm -hmm. controls um, speech. Yeah. Uh, and people who have strokes often suffer damage to that area. And, right. Um, it wind up with what's called aphasia, where they just can't pr produce speech and they can't comprehend speech. Wow. Um, and they have to relearn those things, but it's not just relearning. They have to re-engage neuroplasticity. Wow. Uh, and I haven't done a lot of research on this, but so I, I could be wrong on this. Uh -huh. um, listeners, do your own research. Don't listen to me. I'm not a psychologist. Please, but, please do. Um, I, I think that it, the more languages you speak, the more um, resilient that yes. area of your brain is. Mm -hmm. Um on account of neuroplasticity. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's that's very interesting because every time that you memorize a new word, like, and when you start thinking in a language, that's a great, mm -hmm. great way to tell that neuroplasticity is beginning to take place because there are some phrases in Portuguese that I use so much mm -hmm. 
almost think in those phrases in English now. Exactly, but I, right? I'll think in mixed Portuguese and English. Yeah, um, dude, I do that too. You do that with what languages? Do you do that? Do you do that with... I do that with Japanese a lot. Japanese, so, yeah. yeah, it's sometimes... I'll forget words. So I when, when I work out with Mireille, I'll just sometimes just ask her. I'll just say, or I'll ask in Japanese, and then she'll and I'll elaborate more in English, but then I get like right, right back. And it's gone to a point where I don't try to translate everything. Like if I just totally get totally not, yeah, yeah, because yeah, mm -hmm. mm -mm. the words in the other language begin to assume an intrinsic value. Exactly, like it becomes ingrained, like it becomes its own sculpture, is what mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if there was just one word I just didn't know, or a way to explain something, and I just didn't know, I would just say the closest thing, and she could clarify it for me. See, that's how I define fluency: is being able to explain what you don't know. Like, yes, if, oh my if God. I don't know the word for like. Um, I, I like to use the, the the sentence catch the ball in Portuguese. Catch the ball. I, I, do oh, know, yeah, yeah. I do know how to say catch the ball in uh -huh. Portuguese, but let's say that I didn't know the word for catch. Yeah. Like I could say I took the ball from the air. Yeah. And that makes that, sense. Like that that's how sense. I define fluency is, is the ability to improvise mm -hmm. and explain almost anything mm -hmm. by that. Um, now explaining cryptocurrency to <laughs> my girlfriend's 80-year-old Ava, that might not work. No, 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 but, that's not going to um, work. No, no. You know, there's there's certain levels to that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm also a fan of saying that there is no such thing as a direct translation. Yes, dude, you're you're so right because it's uh, in my Russian class. I have to do translation assignments, and they're my least favorite because I think ever since I started doing or speaking more Japanese, it's that's not my goal is to translate. If I understand you in context and nuances and emotions, that's my goal. But since it's an academic-based endeavor. I really don't like to automatically, I, I like to think of it like Google Translate everything mentally. I don't like doing mm. that because it really cuts out a lot of context or nuances. I know I have totally. to do it, but totally. it's I love just hanging out with my, with my girlfriend with Midday because I get to also see personalities. Like um, she is very more expressive, which is not kind of the standard for Japanese women because a lot of them tend to be more shy or reserved, but with her, I can also see that she's trying to branch out and become more, let's say, like American, like more open. Trying to assume yeah. that part of the culture. That, yeah, and I, uh, that's why I was saying, hmm, I think it'd be cool to talk about this because when I speak Japanese, I'm very more like reserved. Like I need to observe all the time, not only because I'm learning it, but because it's the inherent personality. Mm. So, and doing yes. it in a gym is kind of troublesome because I'll have friends that'll walk up and like, oh, and I have to switch from Japanese to English. So I'll be like, oh no, これ ga, And then it's like, Oh shit! Fuck! I'm not talking to you. <laughs> like oh shit! Yeah, so it's I, like the I switch know, is I insane. Yeah, I know it's so insane. Yeah. But I really believe that you're making so much great progress in languages when you're getting past a point of um, you don't have to translate everything. Totally, and I think um, something interesting that happens is your personality begins to change a little. Yes, bit I wanted you, to talk about that. Um, when you take on a new language, your personality yes. starts to kind of mold to that culture. Yeah. Um, really cool. Yeah. So, have you experienced any of that? So, um, for instance, when when you're speaking your um, native language or your original yes. language, is your personality a little different? Def How so? Definitely. Um, I hmm, when I spoke it, because I was younger, I was a little bit more. Hmm, how would I say? I was just more direct, very much so direct, because it was my native language. But even the sound of it, it sounds so. Uh, how how can I say it? It just sounds very lively, but in a way where it's like not jabbing at you, 
but it wants your attention. You can speak a little bit for the audience. Yeah. So one of my mind. thank you. One of my favorite phrases because my papa, my biological dad, he's he lives in Canada. He called me one time, and my friend was in the car, and he's he spoke full Filipino. And one of my favorite phrases is "oipang," like we're very lively. We're like "oipang," I don't understand. And so he'd re- elaborate it. It was very rapid fire. Yeah, it's very rapid fire. Um, I I still remember short phrases like uh like. <laughs> I can't remember on the spot, unfortunately, but definitely walaku kasabot is like even the way it the consonants and vowels mix together. It's very like like a punch. Like I don't understand. Totally, yeah, I get it. Yeah, so I believe when I speak my native language, I'm really like no, like what what the fuck are you saying? Like yeah. very direct. But very when I speak, direct. Yeah, but in Japanese, I'm like ah, kore wa no nakama ga takusan no renchou suru kedo ne tsuyoi ni naru. Like I'm more patient. And more flowing. Well, that's because also Japanese culture has a reputation for yeah. patience and politeness. Yes. There's the whole keigo system. Like, oh, dude, keigo, bro. That sounds difficult. That's a whole entirety of what we're talking about, like cultural personality. Mm. When cultural I think, personality. Yeah, that's keigo. And then when I speak Russian, I'm like, like I'm more, I feel more nonchalant because the sounds is more nonchalant. And also, I think when I've seen like in memes like of Russians or something, you know, like they're they're doing like the Slavic dance, they have that nonchalant quote unquote personality. So it, I kind of adapted. It feels it. like everything is kind of taken lightly. Yeah, yeah. So that's why when I talk in those language, it's like very distinct personalities. In English, I'm like, hey, dude, what's up, man? I'm really chill. But it's it's so interesting. But like, what about you? How would you say your personality is in Portuguese? Okay, so you know, in English, I have this tendency to speak, you know, with a very uh, steady and slow voice. Yeah. Um, uh, uh-huh. Like I, I, I vary my tones a little more. Yeah, you do. In Portuguese, like it goes up and down. Right. Um, uh, tipo, for example, when I'm trying to speak about something, I don't know. I don't know what I might be embarrassing myself to any Brazilians. No, but you know my my accent isn't perfect. But mm-hmm. I really um, my, la- my my tones go up and down a lot, a right. lot more. It almost sounds like I'm singing. That's that that's sense. the impression that it gives me because um, Filipinos like our language too. It's just it just feels like abrasive sometimes, mm. and we have more like cultural nods, quote unquote. So sometimes like the way I grew up, um, if I don't know. It's like the equivalent of "Hey, American" is "Oi," but I know it's really weird. Yeah. Like in Filipino, when I was growing up, "Oi" was very normal. It's like "Oi," "Oi me." Brazilians use that too. That's yeah. that's exactly what we. Um, yeah. I say "we." I'm not Brazilian, but mm-hmm. that's what you know. Portuguese speakers like "Hey" is like "Oi," or like mm-hmm. "Hey, what do you do?" "Oi," uh, "Oi," "O que está fazendo?" Yeah, but it's really weird because when you say that in America, like in America, it can come off really rude. It does, yeah, right? It does totally. Like if you're like, "Oi," you sound like a drunk Irishman, right? But or a Scottishman, Scotsman, whatever. Exactly, whatever. And you're like, they're both the same. I'm just kidding, no. <laughs> but yeah, that's something I had to kind of like level off of when I came here. I had to refrain myself from saying like "Oi," because yeah. it sounds like I'm about to threaten you, which is really still weird to me. I don't know. Well, I do the same thing in Portuguese. Like a lot uh-huh. of times, I think I offend some Brazilians because <laughs> oh, no. I, I speak, when I speak Portuguese, I speak with an American tone and I think I sound very brusque because especially me, I have a deep voice yeah. and I speak relatively quickly. Yeah. So like Brazilians oh, oh, oh. talk like, um, you know, like, 
Oi, gente. Hoje nós vamos falar português ah, juntos. Yeah. Eu acho que nós deveríamos juntar a café. E quando eu disse isso, eu disse, Oi, gente. Uh, hoje nós deveríamos falar em português. Nós vamos oh, my café. God. Nós vamos... Uh, 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 oi, sim. Eu preciso de pedir comida. Right. Eu acho que eu quero uh, comer feijoada, por favor. Right. Obrigado. E eu just sound very brusque, porque English is a more brusque, punchy language than it Portuguese. It is, it is, And yeah. Portuguese has that kind of, like, like, I think my favorite, like, phrase to, like, <laughs> demonstrate Portuguese, like, mm -hmm. Oi, gente, como vão? Like, and as an English speaker, <laughs> I, like, I don't talk like that. Yeah. And so I feel like sometimes when I'm, like, interacting with Portuguese-speaking people who don't know me too well, right. I come off like I'm just pissed off. But I'm Dude. not pissed off. I'm an English speaker. Yeah, exactly. Um... I think when I came here for the first time, I was very shy. And so I, I would barely talk above a whisper. It was really sad. And I, I, I was like, hi, my name is Pauline. Like, I would just kind of mutter into the void. But now I'm like, dog, what up? It's Pauline. And it's so weird when you have to spend a lot of time studying a language. Like what I said, like, now I have this very open, quote-unquote, American personality. Neuroplasticity at work. Yeah, neuroplasticity just kind of... It just did its thing, and I have very different personalities. But at home, I'm a lot more reserved, obviously, because you're at home, but also culturally. Um, and also a big part of cultures is definitely when I came here, the biggest culture shock I'd ever witnessed was the lack of uh, honorifics. Honorifics? Yes. So addressing, like, kind of similar to titles. So for... Um, This is more like senior and senora, maybe. No, but, I mean within your f that too, but within your family. So in my family, in a lot of Filipino cultures, primarily Asian cultures, we don't say we do not address each other by first name, because that's so normal in America, though. Yeah. No, I would never oh. rock, walk up to my dad and say like, "Hey, Rocky." I'd say like, "Hey, Dad." Oh no, yeah, but the honorifics here is limited to American parents. But what shocked me or what shocked my American friends when they came over is that they thought that my siblings' names were Kuya and Ate, like all of them. And what that means, like Kuya means older brother and Ate means older sister. Mm -hmm. And when Those I... Are very short words for that concept, respect. Yeah, thank you. I was like, hell yeah. So in public, I'll just go Ate because also like it's just a way of denoting respect. Because it's like a hierarchy of respect type of thing. I got so you. Filipinos were very hierarchical in terms of respect as well. And I feel like the thing that shocked me is that when my friends like just called their American friends by their first name, I was like, oh, are you disrespecting them? But that was in my brain. But as I hung out more, I was just saying, oh, this is normal. But still, like, it's really weird because I know when I want to have kids like I'm gonna ingrain it like my I want my cultural part like you need to respect your siblings and still use honorifics and it's it's really funny you want to preserve that part of your culture because yes. you admire it you respect it yes and I totally get that like I yes. hear that a lot when I'm talking to people who have moved to the United States like mm. it is very important to preserve like parts of your culture and I think right. that's part of what makes America great is that yes um, right like you have a lot of people who bring a lot of that different stuff to the table. Mm -hmm. um, I really like that. I like the the multiculturalism, especially yeah. here at UNC Charlotte, man. There's so many different people from so many different I places. I love it. And I didn't expect a lot of Asians. I didn't either. I, I didn't, didn't either. either. I was like, what? I, I, I don't met know. So many different people from so many different right. places and get so many different perspectives. And it mm -hmm. makes recording this show easier than it would be anywhere else because I need a new 
you know, a you new, need a new, new, a new scene. person every yes. week. And yes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great though. Yeah, I'm glad. I call UNC Charlotte, UNC Charlotte, the mini uh, Charlotte Airport because basically it's. I, I I hear so many languages spoken here on a daily basis. I, I hear love a lot it. of Arabic. I hear a lot of Japanese. Yes. Occasionally, even Mandarin. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of Spanish. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. Yeah, I've Big heard. Fan. Actually, I've heard. Yeah, I've heard Japanese. I've heard some German. Mm, and I've heard some German too. Yeah, I've heard some German, and I actually almost just paused because it was in the union. I think it was like a guy and a and a woman, an older woman. Just talking in German. I just wanted to pause and listen, but I was just saying, oh. Do you I understand don't... any German? Uh, no, but um, my first ex, like he's he's German, so he would teach me some phrases, and I really loved sharing it because I think what's so important about linguistics and culture as a whole is that you really get to see that window into a person's soul mm. is what I see. Uh, it's a very sure. personal thing. It's so personal. Like that's why when I went to the International Coffee Hour event or something, I don't. I'm not able to go to those so much. I hate sucks. it. I've got. I've got statistics. I know. I know. Uh, I remember I met my Japanese girlfriends because I I talked to them first in English and then they didn't understand. But at the moment I switched to like uh, Japanese, I was like I would just say like, "我私は日本語をちょっと話せる." They they their just faces start, just light up. Right? Fa- I know, and I love seeing that, and especially more in intimate relationships like friendships or maybe romantic partners. It's like I do really like cultural and multicultural diversity. Mm. I don't know. I, it's like hundred percent. I love that. It's so fun. Well, you know, are you are, have you ever heard the phrase like if if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room? Yeah. I think that phrase doesn't exactly apply, but I think what does apply is if everyone thinks like you in your room. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that and makes I a lot of sense. And I think multiculturalism is a good barrier against that. Mm-hmm. Um, the danger of it can be factionalism. People can click yes. up and cause problems. But I think, especially in UNC Charlotte, I don't really see any factionalism. I'm friends with so many different people. Yeah. Nobody really joins a faction. It's not like high school where you've got oh, like yeah. people just organize themselves based on yeah. literally any identifiable trait. Yeah. Um, college is fortunately a bit different than that. College, but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think also with just how much easier transitioning is in college because I believe the reason why people organize a lot in groups in high school is because you're you're so young. Like, you're what? You start high school at 14? Yeah. Uh, you're still developing. And you're insecure. Yeah, you're insecure. You're still developing who you are and you will continuously do it. Granted, you make, you know, good decisions and you stick to your code and shit like that. But college is such a great pathway. This is why I always vouch as well. Don't, I mean, do not stay in your hometown. Leave your hometown. Mm. You were going to benefit so many people that stay in their hometown. For They're sure. stuck in that little bubble. Especially UNC Charlotte, it's very good for that like cultural diversity. You meet a lot of minority groups, et cetera. And it's just, it, it's nice to be able to see transition as something normal. Like you don't, you n- yeah, yeah, you're not stuck to one person or one group. You can just be like floating. Get used to it. Your ability to transition is kind of vital to your yes. uh, success in life. Definitely. For sure. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah, going back to native languages, like when you speak someone's native language to them, mm-hmm. um, if they are not in their country, you make a friend like that. Right. It's like right. Right. suddenly, you know, you have like struck a chord with that person. Like Portuguese, right. you know, like I kind of have, you know, at least friendlier interactions with you know mm-hmm. people who are Brazilian because it's it's like, you know, the recognition that like wow, you're an American, you speak my language. And I'm sure you have the same experience yes. with people who speak Japanese. Yeah, Japanese or Russian or 
favorite part is when I I love um, going to like little Asian marts because mm. it's yeah. it's a bit of home away from home. Like I'll yeah. uh, I'll go and be like I grew up with that. I grew up with this and definitely something I would want to bring like when I have kids. It's like you know there is value in difference mm. because. In my culture, too, one downfall, like what you said, there's shame. Shame is a very big part because we're still hierarchical. If shame comes about, it's like top dog hears it. Everybody has to permeate it. I feel you, yeah. yeah. And it sucks because with that hierarchy system, I don't know why I can't pronounce that word, hierarchy system, it's very easy to clump together. Totally, yeah. And it's something... Oh, it's high school. Yeah. Like an American high school, like how cool you are is linked to several like material factors. I know. What shoes do you wear? Like, can, can you, can you convince people that you have sex? If you can, right? then you're probably cool. Like, right. you know, are you on the basketball team? Like, right. what music do you listen to? Like, it's all so material. Like, yeah. you know, there's very little bl- gray. There's a lot of black and white in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of like, Oh no, no, I can't, I can't talk to that guy. He's, he's cool, bro. He's, it's look so at those shoes, bro. Like he's looked at him. Look at that chain, bro. Like I, I can't know. talk to that guy. It's so dumb. But high school, it's I don't even know. High school just felt like elementary school for me. But now college is like kind of the real thing because I yeah. deal with both. It's not even university. It's community college. I, I enjoyed my time at community college. I enjoy my time. I enjoy my time here. Yeah. But it's so funny because the quote unquote jocks that I would have been, you know, quote unquote bullied or like made fun of in high school they like anime now so i will just talk to them don't exist now yeah they don't everybody's just a person yeah i'm a really big fan of the phrase the individual is the smallest minority yeah i like because it's really true Mm -hmm. it's really true it's very true especially in the grand scheme of cultures or Mm. culture can only exist on an individual level if you really think about it yeah like it, it has to be interred within people's minds yes there is no like culture as a force outside of 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 the individual right so it it really can only exist at that level i i know and it's very lovely to think about because when i stepped into america and learned and made a bunch of friends i allude this back to my paper that i wrote um there's no shame in having these multiple identities there's the only shame is that if you let one disrupt the other because mm. i try to live my life through balance and that also equates to language learning or how much time do i want to spend studying how much time do i want to spend time practicing with my friend or whatnot 100 yeah definitely totally feel you yeah well is there anything on your mind now so like if you had like one thing you want to say to the audience right now like one thing you want to sum up one last conversation uh-huh. um, what you got all right so listeners and whoever is available right now, I definitely want to encourage to study a language and do not do it by the book. Don't do it by the book. There is no point because there's a nine out of 10 chance that the daily conversations, quote unquote, in your textbook do not equate to real life interaction. And if you do spend your time studying or practicing by textbook, you're going to have a very hard time. Try and find media you like. So for me, I love a lot of Japanese music. I love a lot of Honestly, multicultural music. I like Portuguese. I, I like a pro- Portuguese song. I like a Russian song. Anything that gets you an idea of stepping into other people's worlds and letting them see yours. So, yeah, that's like my best take, I'd like to think. All right. Awesome. Yeah, Thank study you. language. I actually cannot. Um, yes. I cannot second that enthusiastically enough. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right. Awesome. Great session. Thank you for coming on the show, Polina. Thank you.
appreciate it.